0: Ladies and gents, it is your favorite podcast in the whole wide world. It's Tyson Popplestone here. You're listening to Relaxed Running. Today on the show, we've got the great man Lachlan Hurd from Victoria, who's been in some mighty fine form over the last couple of months. A little bit of a backstory. I actually first met Lockie back in 2013 when I was a casual relief teacher at the school that he was going to. I think he was a year nine student. I'd just finished up. I'm sure they weren't getting a whole heap of work done on the day that I was in there, but um, I sort of kept in touch with him for a couple of years after that. Just to, I was watching his progress, I was watching his breakthroughs, I'd heard he was getting pretty quick. And then apparently a couple of years ago I said to him, You can come on the show when you run 345. I would have been joking, but I think he took me seriously. And uh, I saw that he ran 345 in the national final the other day, so I said, Alright mate, it's time for the it's time for the conversation. So he was good enough to 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 come on and have a chat and Really good chat. Really interesting to pick his brain about the balance between his his running training, his strength training, his mobility work, uh, his downtime, the way he prepares for races. He's a he's a really switched on guy, and I really appreciated the thought, the time, the effort that he that he puts into his training. So he's just finished his track season over here, where off a pretty interrupted preseason, he 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 came out and just he smashed some PBs and ran some incredibly fast times. He ran the national fifteen hundred meter final against you know some of the best athletes that Australia have seen over the fifteen hundred meters. So man, he's not mucking around. I'm, I'm really excited for this guy's future. I think his his work ethic, um, his consistency, his focus is I mean it's a recipe for success in the distance running scene. Combine that with his talent. I reckon the next twelve months he's going to start to be a real mover on the shaker, mover and shaker on the national track and field scene. So keep your eyes out for him. Make sure you shoot him a little bit of love if you if you enjoy it. And hey, uh, just say well done to, to the great man, Lockie Heard. So let me get out of your way and introduce to you for the next 45 minutes or so. I think maybe an hour. It was between 45 and an hour. Mr. Locklin Heard. Woo! <laughs> mate I was laughing with Jessie b- before we uh, logged on to this podcast because she's like oh who's your podcast with today I said funny story so uh, rewinding the clock for the audience we first met but it must have been 2012 or 2013 maybe when I was a a casual teacher at your school here in Victoria um is it
1: 2013 uh oh it would have been around that time 2012 to 2014 era when I was in uh Year nine or ten, something like that. I think you were covering for uh, one of my science teachers, and I had uh, your wife as well as my full time teacher. Oh man! With, so you had the you had
0: the the, the highs of the Popplestone with Jesse, and you had the lows with me just being there as a casual teacher.
1: <laughs> I can't imagine there would have been a whole heap completed in the lesson that I took. Was there? Oh, uh, it wouldn't have been that bad. I've, <laughs> I've seen worse now that I'm a teacher, so it could. Are you a teacher now? Yeah, I'm a teacher now, so. Learn from the best. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll,
0: we'll label Jesse as the best. Please don't take any teaching instructions from me because it, uh, it'll, it'll leave you out in the wild. Man, yeah, that's, that's funny. So that's gone back a little while. Were you competing back then? Because that would have been, that was about the year before I finished up competitive running. But that last year of my running, I was still going pretty hard. So I always, always loved that balance of, of casual teaching or, or just teaching in general with running training. It was a really nice sort of balance.
1: Yeah, so I, I think I was just starting out. Um, I joined down at Casey, I think it might have been 2013. Uh, I think that might have been my first cross-country season. Uh, my sprinting mate was just like, oh, yeah, come down, have a run, because I was pretty good at the you know, house ass and made some state state events and things like that. Um, and I think you might have been doing some Mount Everest Thing. That's what I recall. Something along those yeah, lines. I don't that's know, right. Yeah, that's about right. That's about right. Maybe yeah. I had just finished my running then, because uh, I think yeah, it was around. You, yeah, that you must time. have just finished. Yeah. So I was just getting started. Um, I wasn't doing much. Like I'd go for a, I don't know, two or three times a week. Go for a six k run and thought I was absolute beast. But that's that's about how i got started and i just did fun runs and then i probably didn't start competing until around 2015 2016 and then i made my first nationals as an under 20 athlete i think man that's awesome Wait, i just got to address something before we even uh
0: get too far into this conversation so you've recently broke 345 <laughs> for 1500 and apparently i said to you the wankiest comment which i was so <laughs> disappointed so i said to you when you break 345 you're coming on the podcast i just want to clarify I would have had you on the podcast at any time. I was clearly taking—well, I thought I would be clearly taking the piss that day. But I, I uh, when I saw you'd run three forty-four, I was like, oh my gosh! Like, and you messaged me, going, "Mate, am I welcome on the podcast yet?" I go, "Are you kidding? You're always welcome on podcasts. What are you talking about? Where did I say that to you?" Because I'm, I'm so disappointed with that
1: line. I think it might (laughs) have been uh, you were just starting out your podcast, and I think you're maybe. Five or six episodes in, um, and you had some some big names on. I think one of your first episodes was Stewie McSwain. So I was like, yeah, I can't jump onto this podcast over Stewie. Um, but I think I had only ran maybe three fifty two or something like that. Um, I was just finding my feet, and then the following season I took off four or five seconds pretty quickly. And then this season, I don't know how, but I've been injured and still running PBs. So, oh, Is that right? So so what's the, uh, what's the
0: story? What's been the lead up to this
1: season? What injury were you wrestling with? Uh, so over the winter, I had a really good winter uh, through COVID and had a huge base. Um, and I think it was, uh, was it last year, last year or the year before. Um, I was probably in about sub 30, 10K shape. Um, and I was targeting Gold Coast 10 K and then that got canceled over the winter and I had a backup race at Albert Park 10 K and then that got canceled as well. And I think I just trained right through, um, and I got a stress reaction in my, uh, right fib and it's just been niggling for ages. Um, so that took about oh, four months just to get right. So I was, I was jogging through it. I didn't take complete time off because my physio didn't want me to completely deload and start fresh. Um, but it was just a, it was just a, a, a nuisance one that I didn't want to go away. Um, and then, yeah, I just started back in. I was like, we'll just do base work, got pretty fit quickly. Um, and then we'd like, oh, we'll run a 5K. And then we thought, oh, we'll do a mile before that, just to get some speed before we do this 5K. And I seem to be fitter and faster than expected. So that's an interesting, heads-
0: well. it's an interesting headspace to be in, I reckon when you're injured, because the truth is there's so many stories like that of people taking a rest or not having the most beautiful lead up to a race and coming out and running really well. But the the psychological aspect of a performance like that is something I'm always interested in because it's sort of, uh, we love the idea of having the perfect lead up with no injuries and no niggles. And we didn't miss a beat of training, but so often in the lead up to a race, that's just, it's just unlikely. It's uncommon for yeah. a lead up to be that beautiful. So what was your headspace going in? Did you come in with a, a fairly relaxed approach? Just sort of saying, all right, we'll, we'll just chuck some, some dirt at the wall, or I'm sure there's an expression like that. Some mud at the door <laughs> or whatever. See what sticks. How did you, uh, how did you come into the races?
1: Uh, so my coach is Gav Barron and he's very um, aerobic based um, with a little bit of speed um, thrown at the end. Um, and we sort of went, all right, we'll do, we'll do a 5k at the end of this track season. And that will be my target race for the season. We'll just get one in and that will do. Um, and then we thought there's a really low key race in Bendigo be a good way just to see where my 5k is at before I have a real good go at one. And I ran 1440 and I was like, ah, that's, that's not too bad. And I was planning on getting back into that 1420 sort of shape that I was in before I got injured. Um, and we thought, okay, we'll, we'll run um, a mile. We've run the mile chance. And I feel like when you have no expectation coming into a race, you sort of just go out there and just run hard and you don't really, it doesn't hurt as much. Um, whereas when you got like the weight on your shoulders trying to run fast, it's, it's a lot harder. Um, so, yeah, I, I just don't, I think I've changed my mentality of how I go about races now. I try to go in very calm and, you know, not really care about the results, just go out and have fun sort of thing. Yeah, it's a good approach
0: to have. It sounds like your coach has got a a really similar training mindset to to Nick Badeau. Like Stewie, I, I've spoken to him on here a couple of times and a couple of Badeau's athletes have highlighted the fact that they've got that real aerobic base. In fact, I would say 95% of maybe even higher is that real aerobic base. But blokes like Stewie and yourself, it sounds like you've you've got a really nice turn of speed when you need it, like to run 344 Offer relatively high volume of running always impresses me. So, so when you say you've got a relatively high focus on the aerobic side of training, what does that look like through the course of a week? What's your what's your general training structure? Do you have a a pretty solid routine?
1: Yeah, I do. I wouldn't say I'm a, a mileage beast. Um, I barely push above 100k weeks. Before I got injured, I was doing about 120 a week, um, but we've sort of cut back just because. Full-time work, I I don't think it's feasible to try and do sort of 120 a week, 120 to 160 a week uh, consistently without, you know, getting stressed or missing out on sleep and then getting injured. So we've sort of cut back and we're looking at 90 to 100K. Um, So a week for me, uh, Monday to Sunday, um, I take my easy days really easy. So a Monday, I generally just do 30 minutes. Um, And I always do strides at the end of my runs. So I do 30 minutes and strides at the end. Uh, Tuesday, we don't have a clear cut sort of what session days are. So I do sessions Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. Tuesday, we generally do a mix of threshold track work, um, depending on what time of the year it is. So either 400 repeats, K repeats, mile repeats, something along those lines. Um, Wednesday again, uh, 30 minutes and strides. Um, I do gym in the afternoon as like a double um, Thursday um, session day as well. I should say I also do doubles on those days. Yeah. I was going to ask 24. if you're doing any like morning runs at all. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I do. I don't do a full 30 minute double. I just do 20 minutes. I find that 30 minutes is just pushing it a bit for me. Um, so I, I generally run every morning. I like morning runs. I'm a morning guy. Uh, So sessions on Thursdays, generally, I think now it's just going to be threshold tempo-y stuff, uh, but generally it's track. And then Friday, 30 minutes easy again. Saturday, uh, we do hill work. So down at Police Paddocks, um, big group there. So we do either long hills or uh, thresholds around hills, things like that. And then Sunday, 90-minute long run. Yeah. to cap off the week and then generally I might do gym on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon depending on how I'm feeling so what is that two or three gym sessions a week that you're doing uh two, two yes. sessions and over the winter sometimes I do three to build the strength uh but generally two and are you going pretty heavy are the
0: weights that you're hitting in the gym super heavy or is it more body weight work or because it's always interesting speaking to athletes I remember when Ryan Gregson was on here I think it was Grego or it might have been Dane Verwey it was one of those two. They were talking about how they love to uh, like really make their hard days hard. So they might, I think if I recall this correctly, they were doing a pretty hard session maybe in the morning. And then at night they would go out and they would smash some really heavy weights. And because a lot of athletes have this fear that as middle distance runners, if they're lifting really heavy rates, they're, they're going to get too bulky and too big. And it's just, it's really hard to develop that bulk if you're running as much as what you guys are. So I'm always fascinated to know how people, you know, just, decide the focus in a gym session especially and is there a difference between the summer focus and and the winter focus in the gym
1: yeah so i i lift pretty heavy on a wednesday Um, i do gym with my physio Um, so i go down there and a lot of focus for me is glute and calf stuff so we're pretty much stacking on as much weight as we can for calves um just because that's where generally my injuries lie and then We'll do pretty heavy squats and deadlifts. So we'll hit between 80 to 120 for squats um, over the winter. And then carbs is always heavy. And then summer we pull it back and do more lighter work, but more power focused um, whilst keeping the calf stuff good. Um, and then generally. If I'm doing a double with a session. So if I'm doing a gym and a session, I'll keep the gym pretty light. That'll be my body weight session. And I'll do some heavy calf stuff as well. Um, And then lead up to race. I'll just do like mobility rather than heavy weights. Um, But during yeah during summer mobility and more power focused rather than heavy lifting yeah sure so when you say
0: mobility what kind of exercise are you, uh, are you doing there because this is one area man and it really blows my mind just how in my own running career it was completely overlooked i'd go out i'd do the hard training i'd do a few stretches uh i'll get the yeah. odd massage uh i'll do some strength mostly body weight stuff for me but if you had said mobility i would have gone like what are you what are you talking about it's only been the last couple of years that have become more and more interested in that. So like what does the focus on mobility look like? And what's the reason that you've implemented that into your training through the summer?
1: It's more um, body weight. It's body weight focused, but instead of um, just doing sort of like glute bridges, for example, um, you might try and do a body weight exercise that puts the muscle through its full range. So something like inchworms where you have to like crawl up And stretch out your hamstrings it's it's a nice eccentric exercise but you're also getting a nice stretch and you're getting strength gains from it as well um same with sort of like um toe walks and heel walks on your on your heels um stuff like that you can get a nice stretch as well as get some strength gains at the Mm. same time it's not too fatiguing or taxing either i find um but the the guys that i work with or that look after me they they sort of prescribe everything. So I try not to think about it too much. They say what goes and I do it. It's a nice way to do it, man. You just trust the experts in the scene and you just
0: get on with it. I had, I had John Quinn on here. Who's an exercise physiologist. He must've been on four times by now. And uh, he works with the GWS giants. He's also uh, like an Olympic track and field coach. And he's just a really highly regarded exercise physiologist. And one of the things that I asked him and it was in relation to football, but he also spoke about how necessary it was for distance runners. Was like that. I'd never heard of the word before it, but I'd known the exercises, proprioception. And he was going through quite a few of the exercises you just explained. And he said that a, a lot of ankle rolls, which I was a culprit for, man, like my right ankle, it's so floppy if I'm not careful. Uh, it just, I just never done much strength, never done much mobility. And now, even in the last couple of weeks, I've started to really focus on just, when I'm at the gym doing 10 minutes of of these proprioception exercises, just to, just to strengthen my ankles. Now, for me, it's more of uh, like I'm 35. I've still got a long time before i got to worry about this, but I like the idea of investing in my future. I don't want to be an old bloke who's walking around on dodgy ankles and, and dodgy <laughs> knees. So I just like the idea of laying that down for just general health and fitness. But in the running scene, especially, uh, there's so many runners who are in the same boat as me that just have like floppy ankle joints or whatever because they haven't done a whole heap of exercise so have you like do you notice any real deliberate benefits or any obvious benefits in sort of your,
1: your ankle and knee, knee joints through it or is it it's more a preventative thing for you uh it's more preventative but on the when I was going through my rehab we did a lot of hopping exercises so single leg hopping um and my physiologist made me sort of hop in different directions, sort of like through a square and make crosses and things like that to help with that proprioception. Um, but if you've ever ran at police paddocks, you'll know that the terrain there is like ridiculous. So you don't need to do proprioception training <laughs> when you're running there once a week. You, you're bound to roll your ankle at least three times a session. So <laughs> that's, uh, that's my training for that. But I, I feel like it does, like I, I prefer running on uneven terrain uh, just to help with the knees and ankles, because if if you're good at cross country, cross country it translates over to track. So that's my focus over the winter.
0: Yeah, it's a good attitude. A lot of Victorian listeners would, would know Police Paddocks. Before the end of my running career, I went out there and I was doing quite a bit of work with Richard Huggins' group, and uh, I'm pretty sure that was Police Paddocks. Is is it his? I don't know if he's still coaching, but is it his group that trained out there? Do you know?
1: Yeah, I think Richard Huggins did train out there. Um, yeah, there's it, it's, it's generally Knox, Waverly um, sort of groups or the old school Waverly that used to train out there, but it's more just Knox now, Knox and Berwick sort of he, way. I'm not, yeah. I'm only two Ks from there now. so. Oh, that's so handy, man. So are you doing,
0: that's where you do your hill reps, is it? Because it's we used to do sort of one or two K reps out there as well. And I, I know there was a couple of hills thrown in uh, here and there, but it's, it'd be beautiful for thresholds. It'd be beautiful for hills. It'd be beautiful for for so many different styles of training out there, is it?
1: Yeah. So you, gen- you got your traditional one and 2K reps, which is 1K and it loops back round to make it a 2K. Um, you can do sort of 300-meter hills. Uh, my favorite session there is 800 hills, um, oh. generally five or six. It's really good because uh, you get nice hard spots and then it flattens out and then it goes hard again at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, so you make it more like a cross-country effort. You sort of tempo on the way down. For a recovery, um, yeah, you can do long thresholds around there. Um, I wouldn't go to like Churchill Park, it's way too hilly, yeah. Um, but yeah, there's heaps of good spots where I am now, um, near Listerfield, things like that for long runs. So I've got hills forever. Essentially. Is, that where,
0: is that where you're doing your long runs out at Listerfield?
1: Yeah, I generally do Listerfield now. Uh, but before I moved, um, I was going to the city and doing like Yarra Flats, Yarra Ranges, things like that, um, but now Listerfield because it's so close and convenient. Um, I think the hills benefit me the most just to make me stronger. I've got speed. I just need to get strong and fit now. Yeah, I reckon the beauty with hills is just the ability to get out there,
0: and, and especially when you've got a little bit of understanding of the importance of technique, hills are beautiful when you start to get fatigued because it's, it's hard to run an effective or a fast hill when you're tired If you're not focusing on a bit of knee lift, if you're not focused on a bit of arm swing. So I used to love it for that reason because I always felt like not only was it smashing my lungs and smashing my legs, but it was also giving me the ability to to really work on my technique. Even a couple of years ago, I noticed at the end of my long runs, uh, when I was training for the Melbourne Marathon back in, I think it was 2018 or 19, one of the things that I noticed was I would get 25K into a run. And you'd get me in a hill, and I'd start tripping on my toes a little bit. And I was like, "Oh, come on, Tyson, you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to focus a little bit here." So I, I really enjoy that, even though it's a, it's a quite an often overlooked element of running. I, I can't sort of overemphasize the importance of, of, of just investing in that technique. That's what a lot of athletes that listen to this podcast um, are fascinated or surprised by. And and they like the one thing that I often come back to when they ask about technique. Once they've got a few pointers, is, is all right. Make sure you're getting out on some hills. Um, yeah, that's a that's a nice
1: session, man. It sounds like a brutal session, the 800s up the hills. Uh, no, I, I like it. Everyone else hates it. Um, <laughs> I just think it's an easy way to learn how to relax because in cross country, you really have to focus for, I reckon, three, four minutes at a time, especially when you're going uphill. And then when you're going downhill, you need to try and relax, but also keep the tempo going. Mm-hmm. Um, I find that when you raise people over cross country, They'll smash the hill and then they'll start jogging down the hill when you really want to be working down the hill as well. That's why I like the session. Yeah, that's a good attitude. Explain that to
0: me a little bit more. The idea of obviously it comes in beautifully here because relaxed running is like a huge focus of mine because I often realized that the uh, I realized a long time ago that the best athletes were in, in so many elements, whether it was mid race, before race fairly relaxed customers, like not there's always exceptions to that rule. And it's something that it sounds like you've really developed, like going into your, your races and stuff now. But uh, like, like, what does staying relaxed during a session actually
1: look like to you? Uh, It's a bit different for me, because when I started athletics, I came from like a 400, 800 background. So I had a sprints coach to start off with. And the whole time I was uh, training under him, it was really focused on being relaxed, relaxing my arms and shoulders, because my form was atrocious. Uh, But now I like to consider myself a smooth mover. Um, So when when I'm trying to stay relaxed, it's more about my arm carry. Um, If I can relax my arm carry, even when it's up a pretty decent, difficult hill, um, I generally move a little bit better. Um, especially downhills, well. you just want to drop drop your shoulders and relax down the hill and keep your cadence up and just let the the hill sort of take you down rather than trying to put the brakes on so you don't fall over. Yeah, yeah, it's a really nice
0: place to make up time as well because, as you say, so many people do the the hard yards up the hill and jog down. But if you can learn this relaxation element of your running and learn just to you know keep as composed as you possibly can to the top of the hill and not get to the top and be absolutely rooted. It's so nice to be able to just, I used to love that feeling. When we used to run out at Bandura, the cross country there, we had, I think it was four 3K loops for the open cross country. And around the back there, there was a beautiful downhill um, just before the uphill. And, and that was always my favorite part because you would see people start to come into a jog and always, I was almost treated as a as a flat out sprint on the way down because it's it's essentially free speed in a lot of ways. Like obviously you yeah. can be taxing, um, you know, if you if you're going for too long. But the first the first couple of laps, and if you had maintained that relaxation, uh, you know, in, until the latter points of a race, it, it blew my mind how how quickly you could catch up to a group ahead if you were something. It was something you were really focused on.
1: Yeah, I find that I I learned a lot from training at the Tan, going up Anderson Street. When you get to the top. It it does sting, but if you're if you push it, if you keep pushing as if you were running up the hill, once you get on the downhill, um, mm-hmm. your your body will eventually catch up because it's, you know, it's fast going downhill, but you're not straining aerobically. I don't think going mm-hmm. downhill, so you are getting your breath back um, by working. Whereas if you slow down, it's going to feel worse. Yeah, um, the it, lactic is not going to clear out as much either.
0: It's an interesting point, man. Uh, the, there's no better place for it than the Tan and Anderson Street Hill. So any person in Melbourne or, or abroad who spent any time in Melbourne running around the Tan will know that Anderson Street Hill is an absolute bitch. But you're right. Like you get to the top of that hill, and then if you're going if you're going the traditional way, you get up to the top of Anderson Street Hill. There's a little flat section there, but it's it's pretty much, with the exception of a couple of
1: hundred meters, just a gradual decline all the way back down to that
0: start finish line isn't
1: it yeah and I mean I have to practice because I'm racing there in a couple weeks so I need to uh make sure I'm on top of it and (laughs) don't uh blow up on the hill and (laughs) actually work the downhill a little bit is that the Tan realize that you're running uh no there's a event called run the Tan, um where I think I think last year was last year the year before where Stewie and Lyndon Hall went for the went for the record around there i think stewie just missed out uh linden got it though so it's pretty much just a record run i'm not going to be anywhere near 10:08. Yeah. uh i'll be happy to break 11 around there man uh, breaking 11 is a, a bloody good run i think i think my
0: best was maybe 11:14, and uh i, when I ran I 11 14 i think i had a slightly off day i reckon maybe a sub 11 was in the legs if i if i nailed it but man that's a It's not mucking around. Is what's going on with Stewie at the moment? Is he struggling a bit with? I've heard he's had long COVID or or something. He, I haven't seen too many results or or too many updates. I thought I'd just give him a break and not invite him back onto the podcast until he finds his feet a little bit. But what's the? uh, Do you you know much about what's going on with him at the moment?
1: Uh, I think I yeah I think it's it's more yeah it's long COVID, but I think it's more the deeper breathing stuff. So. I reckon thresholdy work is probably okay because I find that everyone I've spoken to that has COVID, um, they can get out on jogs and do tempo work pretty easily. Um, but as soon as you start pushing your heart rate to that upper range, um, that's where people start to struggle. So I think Stewie's probably just copped a bit of that. So he can't get to his heart rate up to that, you know, 180 plus BPM. I've had I've had mates that have done track work um, after COVID. And they can't get their heart rate above like 140, 150. And they're just smashing themselves and they can't they can't push it anymore. Jeez. So I think I think he might have a bit of that. Not as bad as that, but I, yeah. I not to the level that he wants to be running 60 seconds for 5k.
0: Yeah, sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Oh, hopefully he's got not too long COVID, because it'd be good to see him back out there again. Have yeah. you <laughs> have you had it yet?
1: Uh, no, I haven't. I've I've been sick the last two three days, and I've been doing rat tests. Um, but it's just like the I think there's a really bad cold or flu going around. Um, so I've pa- passed it on to my partner, so she's pretty sick at the moment. <laughs> yeah, um, there, There's a, there's a couple rode the
0: wave. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's a couple of guys in the comedy scene that I saw last night had the sniffles a little bit, and uh, it's funny that everyone still gets awkward about it. I had it. I had it maybe two months ago, and I was bad for for maybe two days or whatever. But then I do a I, I do like a um, my little fitness routine or my running routine is it revolves around like a three k time trial that I do here. It's a little bit hilly, and I <laughs> thought there was, a, uh, there was a there was a there's a couple of weeks there where I was like, oh mate, like I just started to get my fitness down. I thought I was going to be smashing that, and then I thought I was a little bit like you, but not at such a high level anymore. Where I was like, all right, I'm just going to go out. This is about three weeks after it. And just see if I can run anywhere near my fastest time for this for this loop that I do, and uh, and I, I beat my like my best time by about six seconds, which sort of blew my mind because I, I thought that those COVID symptoms might have hung around a little bit longer. But it is nice if you can um, if you can sort of it's interesting how it affects different people, isn't it? Because obviously I was not the exception, but I was on the lucky end of things where you go. right? I went out for a run. Sorry, I got COVID, then went out for a run. The first couple of days felt horrible, and then I was right back to to where I left off. Um, yeah, but it's it's fascinating the way it smacks people, and it's a bummer for Stewie because it would have been great to see him perform at a, at the world indoors as well. Because I reckon he I reckon he would have given the 15 and 3k a real nice shake up.
1: Yeah, I think uh, Stewie and I think it might have been Edwards. I think them not being at nationals made it a little bit easier for me to make a final. But <laughs> it was an unreal it, run,
0: though, man. Maybe maybe yeah. But you're in you're in such good form that to run 3:44 in the final off the kind of training that you've had it justifies your position there a, a lot, I reckon, because when you start running 344, especially with the lead-up that you've had,
1: because what, what was your PB before you ran 44? Uh, I, well, I didn't run 44 in the final. I ran 348, but I ran before the final. Uh, in the heats, I ran 345, and that was yep. the same as my PB. Awesome. Um, a week before, I ran 344. And the expectation was I'll run three forty eight because I hadn't done any speed work at all. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I, I ran three forty four before nationals, and then in the heat, I knew I had to run pretty much PB again to m- make it in on time. And then I ran three forty five, and then you would have seen the final, and the final was just a huge kick from home, and I had no no legs. <laughs> There's yeah. no way I can run one fifty last eight hundred. That's my PB. So <laughs> is, is that what Ollie ran the last eight hundred in? 148.
0: <laughs> Did he run 148 for that last 800? Yeah, that yeah, is. I closed insane. in 156, and I was stoked <laughs> to close in 156. Is huge. Like that's a fantastic close. Oh, he's in. He's in rare form at the moment, isn't he? Because he looked. Yeah, like, he looks yeah. so good in that. Uh, in that 1500, and he ran. He ran like he was. He ran like he knew that he's world class now. Like that this yeah. season, uh, even more than any. I feel like he's running with a new level of confidence, and that that national final, just to see him take it up, I thought, oh, my gosh. Like, it's, it's sort of mind-blowing. I reckon, I reckon even athletes like Stewie and Jai, that would have been uh, – you're never going to rule out athletes like Stewie and Jai, but to, to be able to match that kind of pace, it would take their best day for sure.
1: Yeah, I don't know if, if, if they were in the final. I don't know what strategy would have been put in place. I don't think Stewie or Jai would have let Ollie. Uh, dictate terms like that, although uh, Jai Edwards probably would have sat on it, I think, but Stewie wouldn't have had it. I reckon he would have went to the front and pushed it from a K, not eight hundred. because um, yeah. I don't think Stewie's got one forty eight last eight hundred wheels. Uh, yeah, maybe off off a really slow p- pace. But I, like I was at the back and I didn't know what was going on. Like it was just that quick. <laughs> I tried to cover moves and it was just. <laughs> What was it? Was the first, that first 700 metres super
0: slow? I'm trying to remember the race now. All I remember is thinking with 450 to go, how good, how good Ollie
1: looked? Uh, We went through the first lap in 64 and then the second lap was 65. So it was pedestrian and I was pushing, shoving. People were getting cut everywhere from their spikes. I was trying to get to the front because I didn't want a slow race. I thought if they went out in 60 seconds, I could run 343, 342, but I just couldn't get to the front and they were really jogging. Like it was so slow and no one wanted to go in front of Ollie Hall either. So, <laughs>
0: <laughs> so what's the, so what are we now, April, you're not, you're not planning on, on going overseas to,
1: to race in the U S or in Europe or anything? Uh, no. So my coach and I, we have a plan um, in the near future. If I get into sort of that three forty to 42 range, uh, we might consider going over to the US and racing some miles because um, I don't really, I'm ambitious and I want to make some Australian teams, but with he- how good middle distance running is at the moment, uh, we made a sort of a more uh, realistic goal of just trying to break four minutes for the mile. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that no one can take away from me. So when I get into 340, 342 sort of shape, I think we'll do a pretty big tour of the US and just go race some some miles around different meets uh, rather than the European sort of route. But if it gets to that and I get that fit, then I'll consider Europe as well. But full-time work calls and got to pay a mortgage. So yeah. it's not it's just getting on a plane. I get it, man. I get
0: it. So what's the plan now? Then you're going into your winter base a little bit. Are you having a couple of weeks off or a couple of weeks easy? Or, or what does your schedule look like at the moment?
1: Yeah. So I took a couple of days off because I was sick as well. So I'd, I ran a 5K on saturday um, at collingwood and ran a pb uh, ran fourteen thirteen, 14 13 and i was meant to go wow. to brisbane that same day for the brisbane track classic uh, but it was a bit pricey to head up there for a three minute 45 second race and i'm lucky because the weather was not too good uh, no one really raced fast so i did collingwood instead i took a couple of days off because i got pretty sick straight away like the night of the race i was sick Um, took a couple days off and I think I'm just going to be doing a lot of jogging for the next two weeks. Mm -hmm. I've got stall in between there, the mile, and then I'll do a lap of the 10, uh, next weekend as well, just to break up the jogging. But um, this is my downtime now. And then I'll head into cross country. I always liked that
0: two weeks at the end of the season as well. That was that was my sweet spot in the end because I flirted people who listen would be sick of hearing me say this. But I, I would take a couple of I, I used to take a couple of weeks off for a couple of seasons. And then it just it felt like it just took me too long to get back into any real form. I felt super sluggish for that first week. And my sweet spot was exactly what you're doing, just get to the end of the season and go, all right, let's just focus, have a couple of weeks up, have a couple of weeks to put the feet up a little bit more. Are you? Uh, do you have any plan around like distances and things that you run or is it sort of just going out for
1: your 30-minute easy jogs and, and sort of just run to feel a little bit? Uh, so the focus for me is just to hit my down week sort of mileage, which is like 60, 60K a week. Um, I still do a session today just to turn the wheels Um, a little bit just for stall just so I know you know how to run fast still Um, but I generally just go out for 30 to 45 minutes like I might do an hour on Saturday just to keep keep myself honest Um, but nothing nothing too crazy like I'm not going out for 90 minutes or um, doing like 20 minute thresholds or anything like that like really light and if I do any speed it's generally strides and that's about it yeah nice man what was the session you had this morning Uh, I just did an eight-minute threshold uh, on grass, a grass track, and then I did uh, four sets of two 200s um, with a jog in between the 200s, um, and they were just at like 30 to 32 pace, and the threshold was pretty cruisy, like 320 pace, so Mm -hmm. nothing hard. And just to get used to the grass as well. Yeah, that's nice, man. I was actually
0: going to ask you about that because – I, I used to go back down to Gippsland where my mum lives. And oh, the house I grew up in where I sort of got right into running was across the road from a, a grass athletics track. And it always blew my mind because we had the Newborough athletics track, which was like your nice rubber track. I'd go out there, run a great session, and I'd come back down to Tarog and All of a sudden, 31 seconds for 200 felt like a, a little bit of an effort on the grass track. <laughs> so how have you found the adjustment there? Like that, that uh, focus on relaxation, it's probably coming quite nicely when you're running on a bit of a softer surface without so much give.
1: Yeah. I find that when you're going around a bend on a grass track, you'd really need to focus on lifting your knees a little bit more. Um, My sprinting coach used to tell me when I was running 400s, you should really think about climbing around the bend. So lifting your knees up and driving your arms. And then when you come off the bend, that's when you relax. Um, But yeah, I find that it's about a second per 400, depending on the grass stall is a bit of an exception like the the grass is better than the mcg so uh i reckon it's half a second to three quarters of a second per lap like it's it's that good um i i, f- I don't find it hard to relax on grass it's it's pretty easy um especially running around police paddocks
0: yeah yeah for sure man i didn't realize <laughs> I, I didn't realize it was so well looked after it always looks nice on the screen i've never run stall before yeah have you done the mile a couple of times or well, you've probably done a yeah Events like, there as well have you
1: yeah, I've done it two or three times. I did a, I did a season where I did do some pro running and I won a, a couple of sashes. Um, but yeah, the grass there is, it's really firm. Like it, it may as well just be a ball and green. Like that's how it's, it's firm and soft at the same time. So it, like you don't even need to put in longer spikes or anything. I find that if you just use your traditional eight mil six to eight mil spikes it's fine it feels like a normal track oh wow oh that's nice man
0: that's unreal yeah. See, my memories are the Tarog and Little Athletics track and, and Gippsland Grammar's track in sale which was just both horrific I was just trying my best yeah. not to not to trip on weeds and like potholes and whatever else was running across the track still sounds like it's a good way to do it are there a few it must be a good social element as well up at stall. it always looks like there's a few guys that are pretty happy
1: to let their hair down post-race yeah, oh, it's always a good time there. Um, it's it's good that they have like a mile for people that aren't pro runners, and it's just you know you get your elite guys that actually come down just to do a mile for a bit of fun at the end of the season. Uh, but yeah, everyone, most people, uh, well, that I'm racing against are there for fun. Um, you do get the sprinters that take it quite seriously, and they they know what their handicap's going to get them. Um, they'll they might fox for the season or whatever else they do um so i'm i'm sort of in the two worlds like i understand a lot of the sprinting stuff whereas a lot of distance guys don't really you know get along with sprinters or they can't be bothered monitoring what's happening in the sprinting yeah. world but
0: I, I find it interesting yeah it's so funny my uh my only professional race uh, is it professional or amateur i always get those two muddled up a pro nah, race
1: it's called professional and then we're called amateurs. So. Yeah. <laughs>
0: it's, so, it's so confusing. I ran, a, what's it called? Is it Bay Sheffield in South Australia? And speaking about yeah, not knowing yeah. your handicap, I like I'd run, I think I'd run, I entered with like a 354 and then um, before the season, I'd run a 349 and then I got to the race and my handicap was supposed to be 10. And they said, oh, we'll put you off five. And I said, well, if you're going to put me off five, put me off scratch because it would sound better if I won from scratch. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, well luckily lucky enough for me i bloody i i did win it as well so um like i was a hero in the Popplestone, at least in my own head for a week do you know what i mean but i had no idea that i was doing the wrong thing because i got there and they're like oh your handicap's out i was like what do you mean like i don't i don't even know what a handicap is really i'm just here to try and win some money if i could and just uh, (laughs) and and try to impress my girlfriend and uh yeah so that's that's what happened but man it's a it's a different experience but it's a it's a real buzz as well like i like the fact that you don't really get that many people out at the athletics meets for for whatever reason in Australia we just don't care. I watched the I watched that Vic Mile and you look at the audience and it's it it just looks strange, doesn't it? You've got you've yeah. got seventeen people scattered around a grandstand, I'm like mate. If only you knew the quality of these athletes, it'd be so much more exciting. But then you get down to these pro races or amateur races or whatever <laughs> whatever we are, and you are. You've got a few thousand people there. The atmosphere is insane. It's actually a it's a really it's a really big change up to the usual style of running that you get here in Australia.
1: Yeah, I think uh, money has a lot to do with it. When people yeah. are, can bet and put odds on athletes, I mean, I wouldn't mind if people could bet and put odds on you know the Vic Mile champs. That would be fun. But there would also be you know people would throw races or. Uh, or throw races for letting other people win so there would be heaps of that I understand why they can't do it but it would bring in a lot of um, interest to the sport that's for sure
0: yeah wouldn't it ever so wait what's the theory what's the reason that that you can't do it because what you'd get you'd get Stewie McSwain just getting paid off to come second yeah (laughs) I, I reckon
1: so could you imagine a national 1500 final with Ollie, Jai and Stewie and and I come out and win it. Only getting paid <laughs> off to come second or third. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> man, it's funny. It is weird. I guess. I guess it does happen with sports like like cricket and um, boxing and things like that on the odd occasion. Would it be more? Would it be more likely in Victoria? I feel like we
1: should try and introduce it a little bit because you're probably right. Yeah, I don't think it would happen. Like, I don't think there would be any foxing or people, you know, throwing throwing a race. I think you can bet on Diamond League. I do think I think that's the thing, and you can bet on the Olympics as well. So there are betting odds for athletics. I just don't think Victoria Athletics or Australia Athletics is big enough to have betting odds. Like who would be betting on it, except for
0: yeah, just not at the meets where things. there's not just not at the meet where there's twenty five people. But maybe it could be the double edged sword. I don't know. Maybe it'll bring more people down or maybe they don't do it just because there's so few people there. It feels weird when you're the booking, you're taking 25 bucks of bets. It just
1: feels like a waste of your afternoon. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I think Box Hill, Box Hill does it really well um, in terms of their setup. They make it very inviting for like families and things like that. And you can sort of go down there with your mates. You can get a beer from the bar. Whereas I think if you go to somewhere like Lakeside, it feels very formal mm-hmm. and people, you know, would rather just stay at home you can't you can't have beers at the track you can't you know there's not that much a great food selection yeah. and half the time they charge you to go into the athletics track if you want to go watch at like a Melbourne track classic so it makes they it take the they take the, the piss spectator Melbourne track
0: classic take the piss i'm not sure how much i think i went there a couple of years ago and they're charging maybe 25 bucks a head
1: yeah i was thinking for that price to, nah yeah i i like I can go to the footy for $35, $40. Why why would I go and watch athletics (laughs) at Lakeside when I can watch it from home on a live stream? So, yeah,
0: it's so true. It's so true. They're getting their live streams a a lot better. But if they go to one more split screen during the the men's mile championship, it's going to do my head in because I was watching you boys (laughs) run. I was watching the boys run around and uh, then they went to a split screen with Javelin. I was like, oh, mate, this is like Channel 7. Back in the day, Motram was running. He was running the Helsinki in 2005 5k, and there was about two laps left, and they cut to javelin, and I was like, "Oh mate, <laughs> like ten or seven, you don't appreciate, you don't appreciate who you got run around this track at the moment." I'm the harshest I, critic though. If I have one more, if I have one more day where I can't find live results through Athletics Australia, or I can't find their live stream or their live stream shit, or they charge me 25 bucks to get in, I go, I can't handle it.
1: <laughs> you yeah, understand why they cut to javelin? Like, there's not enough coverage of the field events. I understand that. Like, there should be more coverage. But don't do it on the last lap or two laps of a, of a big race.
0: I, reckon, I maybe, reckon. Maybe during
1: the middle of a 5K. Like, that's okay. No moves are happening, but yeah, see, not at the end. <laughs> see, you're a nicer bloke than me. I reckon shot put javelin
0: and discus should be cancelled from athletics and they just show track. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think uh,
1: Matt Denny would be very happy with you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, I'm not sure who that is, but I appreciate he's probably good at a field event.
1: <laughs> yeah, he
0: is very good. Oh dude, I'm taking a, I'm taking the piss, obviously. Um, but as a as a distance running man on a distance running podcast, I'm I'm taking a, uh, I'm going to roll the dice and assume none
1: of them listen to it. So I'm just going to say it and cross my fingers that I don't get bashed. Well, they did. They um I think uh, AA they missed the the 100 meter final or something for the men's. Yeah, they so missed that, a, missed it on the stream. It didn't yeah. even show up. Yeah, it doesn't
0: it doesn't surprise me. It doesn't it's surprise one job. me at all. Man, I, I ran um, Zatorpec a few years ago. Oh, yeah, a few years ago. I think it was 2011. And I remember the race was scheduled for about 8.30 at night. And for whatever reason, it was too much to... To ask just for a, a little bit of a you know solid structure with the plan, and we ended up getting delayed and put back. And I'd done my warm up, and I think I, I think I ended up racing at about nine twenty six. <laughs> so anyway, far it must be harder than I can imagine because it seems like something they've been working on for the last fifteen years and haven't quite nailed yet. But hey, I'm cheering for them. I'm cheering for, them. and I don't care enough to actually go down there and help them.
1: I just sit back as an armchair critic and tell everyone what they should be doing. Yeah, better. <laughs> they, in in fairness to AA or AV. They they are struggling with um, volunteers and things like that. So yeah, uh, if anyone wants to
0: help out, <laughs> yeah, it's a fair point. It's a fair point. Yeah. They need all the help they can get. So yeah, go hook them up because I'm not doing it, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> bro. It's uh, it's been so good to catch up with you again, man. And uh, I can't believe I can't believe you're actually under the illusion that I was serious when I told you, you had to break three forty five <laughs> to come on the podcast. Because you're welcome on any time. In saying that though, round two is when you've run three thirty nine. Okay.
1: All right, no problems. Uh, I reckon I'll, I'll
0: speak to you in six weeks. Yeah, we'll have a Zoom call from the US when I'm over there. <laughs> I'm only joking, brother. We'll touch base. You're welcome on you time, man. It's good to catch up and, and talk training and stuff like that. So, dude, thanks for making, make, making the time to come on.
1: Awesome. No problems. Thanks for having me. All right,
0: brother. I'll see you later. See everybody.